DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time now to bring in Scotty G. You hear him with hands from 10 to 2, and you hear him on the Utah State Aggie broadcast, which is why he joins us right now. The season opener, Saturday night, 5 o'clock. He'll have the pregame show at 4, the game at 5 on 12.80 The Zone. Scotty G, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Excellent. Are you still in Utah, or have you returned to your ancestral homelands? <laughs> Uh, I am still here. I'm about ready to hop in my car and drive to a lovely remote at the store uh, and do a great remote where I'm sure they're going to have a great special on uh, pizza and wings, which I highly recommend. It will be there today from 10 to 2. And then I will leave right after and head to lovely Boise. With a stop in Burley or Deco. Yeah. Or Deco. Yeah. Deco. A lot of new faces on this team going forward here, obviously quarterback. Uh, but before we get to the new faces, let's talk about the returners. Uh, strength of the team, maybe running back, defensive backs? Yeah, I think you're looking at uh, you know, uh, Troy Leffridge. Uh, the, you know, you've got two really good safeties there. You've got Cam Lampkin, a corner. Defensive backfield, they're not – they're not deep at that position, but they're really good at that position. And so I think they have a chance to be really good. Justice Tate on the defensive line has a chance to have a really good season. I know they're anticipating that. And then uh, on the flip side, I think you've got two really, really good running backs, in Jalen Warren and obviously uh, Devontae Henry Cole. And I think that's going to be the strength of this team and what they're going to try to do against Boise and pretty much every team is really try to establish the run between those two. And then uh, Jason Shelley, quarterback, I think that's their main priority is really trying to establish that running attack, hopefully run for you know over 160, 170 yards a game. And if they do that, they feel like they can be competitive in most games. Now, you were producing this show uh, like a decade and a half ago, so you know how it works. PK asks all the positive questions, and I bring all the hard-hitting negative stuff. That's the brand yeah. we've really built up over two decades. So, really, when I think PK, I think positive. Right. So, yes. So, what what is the biggest problem for the Aggies? If you must go positive, what is the biggest challenge or the most enormous question mark? Which uh, position? Definitely group? a linebacker. Uh, and and they've they've kind of switched back to a three four, which they probably should have been at last year, but uh, they uh, they slide back to that traditional three four, which I really think fits their strengths, but. Linebacker is going to be a big question. They've got some youth there that they like, that they think it ain't, excuse me, that they anticipate will be really good, uh, but it's just not there yet. Kevin Metzenheimer is kind of your senior leader on that team uh, from a linebacking standpoint. Nick Henniger, the Utah transfer, is going to be uh, one of those linebackers as well. But they've they've got some inexperience and they have some depth issues. That that's going to be a huge, huge question mark going into that team. And there's no doubt. I talked to Gary on the coaching show earlier in the week and. I asked him the same question, and he went right to that linebacker position. Not that they don't think that they're talented. They're just a little inexperienced and a little thin, and they uh, that's going to be the thing I think all of us are going to be looking at on Saturday. So I think we knew what was going to happen at quarterback when old Henry Columbia decided that uh, he was going to take off and reunite with Matt Wells. And so it seemed like it was obvious then that Jason Sully was going to be the quarterback my thought is if that's true, I'm going on the assumption that it is true. If it's not, let me know. But basically they decided a while ago, and why did they decide they like Jason better than Henry? Well, I I don't know if that was always the case. I think that they wanted depth of that position because right now the number two guy is Andrew Peasley, who is I think has a chance to be really good, but 
Uh, he's coming off a knee injury, and he just doesn't have a lot of experience out there at all. So I think they wanted two experienced quarterbacks that had some opportunities. And, you know, they, it wasn't uh, a case of trying to run Henry Columbia out. They just wanted some depth of that position and competition at that position. I don't think it was a uh, foregone conclusion that it was going to be Jason Shelley's job. Uh, but I think Henry Columbia felt like that when uh, felt, you know, probably felt like when they brought in Jason Shelley that Gary Anderson's a Utah guy. This is a Utah quarterback, and Utah guys have had some success transferring up there. And I think he felt like perhaps he wasn't going to give a get an opportunity to win that job, and decided to go with Matt Wells to Texas Tech. I everything I've heard that wasn't the case. Uh, that they wanted a real strong competition, and that when that competition was over, whoever it was going to be. Uh, they felt they were going to feel good at the depth of that position, but you know how kids are, and I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not slamming the kid at all. He felt like uh, he needed to go and get uh, a new opportunity somewhere else, and now he's the starting quarterback at Texas Tech. So, how big a hill is it to climb to be Boise State? Uh, it's a big one. I mean, Boise State brings back a lot of their offense. Hank Backmeyer, quarterback, uh, two really good wide receivers, a thousand yard rusher. Uh, their offensive line got turned over quite a bit, but uh, I mean it's Boise. They're gonna they're gonna have a good offense. They're gonna score a lot of points, and they're gonna create a lot of problems for people. So defensively, they lose uh, just a you know he was a tremendous player. Beat you know took over Jan Jorgensen's record for most sacks in Mountain West Conference history. And Curtis Weaver, he left for the NFL as a junior. Just a tremendous tremendous uh, player for Boise State. But I mean they'll they'll reload and they'll probably be fine. They've got uh, two corners and a safety that are really good. Um, and so they're gonna. Have, Utah State's gonna struggle to throw the ball against that defense. Uh, I think they feel like they've got some opportunities to run the ball on an inexperienced defensive line. But I mean, let's be honest. It's Boise State. They're gonna be good, and they're gonna have great athletes, and it's gonna be a tough challenge. Uh, the great thing is that uh, you know that you don't have to deal with thirty-five thousand idiot fans up there at Boise that uh, are all. Well, never mind. I probably should stop now, but. <laughs> Anyway, that's all. 35,000 well-behaved Boise State fans. Those are your ancestral homelands. How can you talk about people like that? You're an <laughs> Idahoan. Not, those are not my people. My people are a little further south. I don't, uh, Boise got weird a long time ago. We don't claim Boise. It's like its own little state inside of Idaho. Oh, you mean like the Vatican inside uh, Italy? Yes. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we don't really claim it that much anymore. In fact, I'm, I think they need to move the capital out of there and go somewhere else. It's more a little bit more representative of the good state of Idaho instead of the morons that live in Boise. Oh, I did it again. Ooh, I'm sorry. That's geez. my bad. Wow, man. Harsh, harsh, harsh. We saw Jason Shelley when he played for Utah in that uh, end of that first season there a couple years ago. He had some success with the deep ball, particularly to Dixon. And I think they can utilize this a little bit here now with uh, him being the quarterback at Utah State. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's the plan, and they want to take some shots for sure. Uh, and they've got, the, they've got some size issues at wide receiver. They've got one uh, J.C. transfer, just a, a monster, six foot six, two 215 pounds, uh, that they feel like that could be their fade guy in the end zone or the guy that can high point a ball. But they've got a lot of – other than that, they've got a lot of small and very, speed, uh, very, very fast wide receivers. So they anticipate hopefully being able to push the ball down the field a little bit. Uh, but I think the, the big focus is on the RPO, and that's you know what Jason Shelley ran a lot of at the University of Utah. That's his strength. I was talking to the offensive coordinator last night. He mentioned his quick release uh, and his quick decision-making. So I would anticipate uh, the RPO is a big part of what they're going to do there uh, throughout the season. So 
The number one thing you want to see is a win. But for a team that's starting out at Boise State, home to San Diego State, and at Nevada, arguably they could end up being three of the top four teams in the league. What kind of improvement do you see need to see that even if the win doesn't happen, because nobody from the state of Utah has won since the Aggies won up there in 96, it's 15 straight losses. If you don't see a win, what would you see that would at least encourage you about this upcoming, cause it's, this upcoming schedule? Because it's a gauntlet here right out of the gate. Yeah, I would say offensive line play is going to be absolutely critical. They they had some issues last year. They dealt with some injuries last year, and I know they're already starting the season out dealing with some injuries as well on that position group. And so I think the, the big thing is can you run the ball and can you protect the quarterback? Those are going to be my two big keys on offense. Uh, if they can do that, even if they don't win against Boise, that's a good sign for what they'll be able to hopefully do throughout the course of the season. And then uh, on the defensive side, can they stop the run? I mean, near the end of the year, uh, they, they just couldn't – I mean, teams were gashing them at five, six yards of carry. It was a really, really ugly situation uh, near the end of last season. They just could not stop the run. So if they can, if they can slow down the run, uh, hold uh, Boise to you know minimal yards on the ground, uh, I think Boise's going to throw the ball on anybody this year. They've got a great quarterback, as I mentioned, those two really good receivers. So uh, I, I think that Boise's going to get up and down the field on anybody they play uh, through the air. But can Utah State slow them down on the ground? And then, uh, you know, make it a game in the fourth quarter. If they can do that, I think that's a success. Yeah, I view uh, Bachmeyer as, you know, somebody who's going to stand in the pocket and try to pick you apart. And if you give him time, he's probably going to do that. So the obvious question then for the Aggies, is they going to be able to get any rush on him? Can I uh, delay my answer until uh, Saturday around 9 o'clock? <laughs> Because, I mean, that's the question I ask Gary the same thing. Can you get there in four? Can you get there with four guys, or are you going to have to manufacture a pass rush? And he said, I'll tell you Saturday after the game. <laughs> that's the big question mark, too, with that defensive line. Can you get there with, you know, obviously not three, but can you get there with four? And um, we're not sure. I don't think anybody's really sure right now what that what that's going to look like. So uh, that's that's one of the million-dollar questions. Can they – can they be stout against the run, and can they rush, and can they get to the quarterback without blitzing? And if they can do those things, then you know it's going to be a good season this year. How many more of these questions would coaches be able to answer if the Mountain West coaches had two more weeks to get ready like the Pac-12? Because the, the, the downside is the Pac-12 is playing fewer games, and they're taking a hit for that. There's plenty of people critical of that. But they are going to have more of a run-up, and to the degree you can learn about your team in practice, they're going to know more. The Mountain West is getting more games in, which is a positive, but the prep time here was really the minimal available, and I don't think coaches love that. No, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that's spot on. You just you don't know what you have right now, and there's a lot of teams out there. I mean, Boise could probably say the same thing about their running backs and their defense – or not the running backs, their offensive line and their defensive line. That's why I think it's going to be a real crazy year with with – you know, a lot of people not knowing what they're doing. I mean, San Jose State is at DJ's favorite campus on the world, at Humboldt State. I mean, they're 300 miles away from their campus. How good are they going to be? How good San Diego State going to be? Um, you know, on paper, they're supposed to be pretty good, but based on everything they're dealing with and lack of practice and, and everything else that's going on, uh, New Mexico, heck, they may not even be able to play a season this year. So, you know, and, and even when they're practicing, they're practicing in groups of five. So, I, I, that's which is That's good the, for basketball. <laughs> yeah, it's great, you know, for sure. But uh, football, not so much. So it's just it's going to be one of those years where you try to ask some questions, you try to figure out where this team's going to be, but you'll you have no idea until you actually see them out on the field. I mean, heck, we all thought 
Navy was going to create all kinds of problems for BYU, and obviously we saw how that turned out. Some of you did, but I didn't, and that leads me to the obvious question, part two. When, not if, BYU is in a New Year's Day 6 bowl, are we staffing it? Um, I think that uh, Jay Catch has provided some great coverage this year, and I think it would be a great opportunity uh, for the station to see him in the Fiesta Bowl or wherever the case might be. So, oh, con- now you did that con- on purpose. You're Thanks, just piling boss. on now. <laughs> oh, no, I'm totally fine with that. Are you big piling on me? Denying you a trip to the Fiesta Bowl. Come on, speaking of ancestral oh, homeland. Hey, well, yeah, but I would be there anyway. So uh, that's the Fiesta Bowl, I would be irritated. But uh, Cotton, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, you, Jake. Thanks, boss man. Uh, anytime. I got your back. Okay, enough uh, enough college football. I have one thing to ask you about pro football and degenerates gambling. Yeah. Daniel Jones off on an 80-yard gallop. <laughs> well, a 70-yard gallop, an 8-yard, a 6-yard stumble, a 4-yard somersault and then touchdown. It was unique. But there's a story in the USA today for the win today that there was a gambler who bet $500 on Jones to score the third touchdown of the game. That's the degenerate part. He was going to win $14,760, minus the taxes, PK points out, when he was at midfield and really had that full stride thing going. But the somersault brought brought it to an end. Do you know of anyone who has a story that painful? Uh, no, because look, you told me a long time ago, um, prop bets and, uh, parlays are for suckers. Yeah. Right. Yes. That comes, that comes via my uncle who's lived in Reno forever and sent his kids, you know, through the whole school system there. And he ended up getting to know a guy who works in a casino standing next to him at first at a uh, game and then at some school assembly. And they recognized each other and they started talking and telling each other about each other's business. And this guy who worked in the casino thing just laid it all out for him. Yeah, I mean, if you're betting Daniel Jones to score the third touchdown of the game, you have a problem. You probably should go to a meeting somewhere. Like, I, I don't mind throwing a few Skittles on a game every now and then. It's fun and, you know... God bless you. Go out there and do your thing. But if you're betting parlays and if you're betting prop bets and you're throwing five hundred dollars down on there, you might as well light that money on fire. So nah, I don't have any sympathy I mean, for anybody with a bad beat like that because you're being a moron. Man, he, you guys don't know professional gamblers. You literally don't they put them on their tax returns gambling as their occupation. God bless you. If you could well, if you can if you can make do that it. work, good for you. I've known many. I know. And I remember talking to a guy in a sports book who was, he says, I don't bet NFL. I don't bet um, NBA. I don't bet college football. I make my living betting Major League Baseball games. And from April to September, he lives in a sports book, and that's how he earns his money. And if you're at that high level and you can figure it out, good for you. But if you're just some random Joe Schmuckatelli out there and you think, oh, Daniel Jones is going to score the third touchdown, I'm going to bet 500 on it. Then, then yeah, you, you got you got some issues. 
We will leave it there. Scotty G, safe travels. We'll hear you on the call. 4 o'clock for the pregame show on 1280 The Zone. The BYU pregame show at 7 o'clock will be on 97.5 The Zone. But the Aggie pregame game and postgame will be on 1280 The Zone. 5 o'clock kickoff. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media. We're going to hear from the Ute head coach next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, we have multiple countdowns underway. 26 days to the draft. 15 huh? days to the Pac-12. One, <laughs> one day to the Mountain West. Eight days to Halloween. <laughs> Kyle Whittingham has a game to get his team ready for two weeks from tomorrow. It's Utah and the Arizona Wildcats and a Pac-12 opener. Here's Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media today. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good morning. Good. Thank you. So what do you want to get out of the the, uh, scrimmage tomorrow, especially since it's your last one before the start of the season? Yeah, we want to be uh, cleaner than last week. That's the the main objective is that we see progress from – from the scrimmage last week and not that the last scrimmage was bad but we just have to get better and uh, that's really across the board there's no one specific area of concern we just need to get better uh, as a whole football team uh, execute better on offense uh, tackle better on defense just do everything uh, all the basics better than what we saw last week we also would like to see some uh, some more separation, hopefully, between uh, some of the positions that are there's competitions going on at, which is most of them. And uh, we will have a little bit more live work next week. Nothing that's extensive, but if we need to get more evaluation, uh, you know, we can control that and dictate that by the amount of live work next week. But uh, we're getting you know, tomorrow would be two weeks out, so you've got to be real careful what you do from. Uh, you know, beyond tomorrow's scrimmage. So we'll see what happens. Josh Newman, followed by Dirk Facer. Hey, good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Um, you guys have been at this for about two weeks now. At at this point, do you get a sense that guys are, are kind of chomping at the bit to see a, a, a different opponent and not just each other every day? Without a doubt. We've actually been at it for about 15 weeks. I mean, right. We've been on the field in uh, some capacity since – early July and so it's uh, beyond that point we got to that point uh, many many weeks ago and, and uh, they're they're ready to uh, definitely play an opponent and more so than ever before because of the, the way things were uh, were structured and uh, so two weeks we'll find out where we're at next we'll go to Dirk Facer followed by Josh Furlong Kyle, let me add my good morning to the rest of them. Hey, you bet. Thanks, Dirk. <laughs> Welcome. Hey, uh, can you talk about you guys reload the defensive line. You don't, never seem to rebuild it. Can you kind of talk about the tradition and then maybe having a, a steward like uh, bringing Sioni in, who's, you know, was a player, obviously, and now is a coach, and just kind of how that tradition continues. And I know you got Lewis Powell in there as well, but you've got quite a tradition on the D line. We do, and it goes way back. Uh, I can't remember how many years, probably ever since I got here. I mean, when, when I first got here, uh, we had a pretty good group. We had Bronzel Miller and Luther Ellis and Jeff Kafusi and Henry Kafusi were, were the front guys. And and I can't remember, you know, I'm sure there was a, a year or two where we weren't as formidable, but, but most years were pretty darn good up front. Uh, last year was a 
certainly no exception. And this year, we've got some new faces in there, but we expect uh, a lot of production. Uh, Vianney Mawala is the, uh, the headliner inside. He's he's uh, outstanding defensive tackle. Uh, Wati Pututau is in there with him. A couple freshmen that are making waves. Tennessee Pututau has done a, a, a really good job, and you'll see him uh, in action. Uh, and then uh, Tanoa Tongiai is doing a great job as well. Uh, on the outside, we got Max and Mika, who are scheduled to uh, be the starters, but Van Fillinger is is making his presence known, as is Xavier Carlton. Devin Kafusi was a great addition to the to the crew. Uh, maybe the biggest surprise up front of the uh, of the fall is Blake Keithy. He's really playing good football. So, so we feel like we got a lot of depth there. Um, really, there's. Uh, not a lot of separation between between uh, a lot of the guys, but but uh, that should play itself out uh, throughout the course of the season, and de- determining who's going to get the majority of the reps. But uh, you're right, having Sione and Lewis Powell is a, a big positive. They know the expectations and the, the tradition here at offense or defensive line, and, and uh, have done a really nice job continuing that. Last year's defensive front, like I said, was extremely productive and. And uh, they're all in the NFL, with the exception of Mika, who came back. But my estimation, as I said before, he'll have that opportunity as well. Am I talking loud enough? Kind of mumbling? Okay. Tired. You can see the bags under my eye. Campus starting to add up. Sorry, go ahead. We'll go Josh Furlong, followed by Steve Bartle. Well, in years past, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. In years past, the defense has, has led the charge pretty early in, in you know, fall camps or whatever that may be. Um, this year, I believe you said that the offense has kind of led the way a little bit. Um, are, are you still seeing that? Is, and, and is that part of the offense just naturally having a lot of the, the guys back? Or, or what's, what's the difference there, and how are you seeing that stack up? Well, the answer is yes. The offense is uh, further ahead than the defense. It was apparent in the scrimmage last week. It was very apparent practice yesterday we had uh two uh two live sessions uh, about 20 snaps each so about 40 snaps total of live work yesterday which the offense definitely got the best of things and and uh i would say that's to be expected we got a lot of returning starters on offense uh, although we're obviously you know the quarterback situation is is being determined as well as uh the running back situation but there's a lot of experienced guys in offense second year uh under any system players feel very comfortable and he's uh, taken it to another level he's expanded upon what he put in last year and and built upon uh, the concepts that we that we uh, had last year and so there's a lot of confidence right now on offense they're, they're playing uh, fast they're playing you know the execution level is very good and we hope it continues because they may need to carry us the first uh, part of the season maybe the whole season we'll find out but but uh, that's definitely where our experience lies on this football team is on the offensive side. Next, we'll go to Steve Bartle of UteZone.com. Good morning, Coach. From where I'm at, the bags aren't that big under the eyes, so you look you look fine. Hey, did you did somebody tell me you just got engaged? I did. Yeah. Hey. Wow. Coach Witt with the shout out. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. Um, uh, but wanted to ask, so Dalton Kincaid, he came to Utah from San Diego and he came on the NFL radar, already on the NFL Raiders, but I think he's been kind of one of the biggest mysteries. How has he adjusted and what does he bring to the offense? He has adjusted fabulously and he brings another uh, athletic 
tight end with size. He can he can catch the football. He's got very soft hands. That's probably his his strong suit is his uh, receiving and route running. Um, his blocking has come along. He was not uh, completely up to the level we needed him at when he got here, physicality wise and, and uh, in the run game. But he has made great strides in that as well. Problem is right now he's not eligible for this fall. We're, we're working on that due to the transfer situation, and we're hoping like like crazy that he becomes eligible because he'll be a great addition to that to that group. Uh, if not, we still feel uh, great about the group with uh, Cole Fotheringham and, and Brant Keithy and Thomas Yasmin has made strides and Ali uh, Lolo. So we've got we've got a stable of tight ends that's going to be a big part of what we do, just like last year. They were they were a big part of what we did. Dalton just adds to an already strong position group, and you're right. He's got uh, NFL scouts that are already uh, – they've got him on their radar, and, and uh, he's really, I believe, going to be a tremendous player before he finishes here. Bill Riley? Uh, Kyle, based on 12 days of practice, a scrimmage, what you've seen in the competition – how close are your quarterbacks right now? And would you expect to maybe have a decision after the scrimmage tomorrow? Yeah, I would expect we would have a decision after the scrimmage tomorrow. And, and they're, uh, they are close. Uh, two of the three are closer than, than the third. Um, and so it's a two-man race. It has been since the end of the scrimmage uh, on Saturday. Since, since we started practicing after the scrimmage Saturday, there's been two guys that are getting reps. And so we hope to see more separation on uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday, but uh, you know, if we have two really good ones, then we'll have a tough decision to make. I don't see a platoon situation, um, and so we're just going to have to see how it plays out. We still got uh, what 12 more practices before we play, or something like that. So we've got some opportunity, but but uh, we need to get it down to to one, and that most likely will be in place uh, Monday of next week. If we feel we need a few more days to, to look at them both on equal footing, then we'll do that. But but uh, I would say no later than Wednesday or Thursday. That would be the drop dead time where we need to get it uh, completely uh, finalized and, and then uh, go from there. There's Kyle Whittingham, the full display, the full array of skills on display, PK. <laughs> okay. A little self-deprecating humor about the way he looks, pumping up a uh, member of the media, knowing that they just got engaged. The quarterback race, shockingly, yet predictably, has gone from three down to two, and Jake Bentley will be the starter by Monday? By Monday, you say? Yeah. Not that he'll tell us, because he's already told us he's not going to tell us. Every potential advantage must no, be... No, I got you. Yeah. I don't. I don't think Arizona gives a crap. They've got their own issues to worry about. Who's going to be starting quarterback at Utah? Uh, they need to worry. I will not worry about it. But they still got. They've got plenty of other stuff to worry about. Is Arizona going to be able to tackle whoever has the ball for Utah? Let's just get right to the basics. Arizona's tackling the last couple of years not good. And they lost their top three to grad transfers or other Schooners. transfers. Uh Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I think Utah should be favored by probably. 14, 15 points. I haven't seen the line, but that would be my guess. It'd be along those lines. So it's it's a great opportunity for the Utes. You talk about how Utah State, you just mentioned, you know, at their level with Boise and San Diego State and Nevada. That's tough. The Devils got SC and Cal. Well, Utah doesn't have that. And I think that works to their advantage 
this year. Now, last year, it wouldn't have made a difference bring on whomever, you know what I mean, because they were such a veteran ball club and they knew everything that they had going on. Uh, so it really didn't matter who they played, when they played. They were probably going to win, and they did, except for one game, obviously. <clears throat> but uh, this year, I think it's really to their benefit that they have a softer schedule to start because they do have so much new stuff going on. Uh, whoever the quarterback is, it does, even if it's Bentley, he's still new to the Utes, and he's new to Andy. One thing that caught my ear when Kyle was talking about Andy Ludwig expanding upon what he's done last year, that's really big time because I thought Andy was just absolutely brilliant last year, and now he, if he's got more stuff up his sleeve, I, I have complete and total confidence in Andy Ludwig as a coordinator. So the way I read that was that uh, Andy was limited probably isn't the best phrasing, but it was just, you know, you got a good old line and you got Zach Moss, don't outthink the room. Just keep hammering away at people. But that doesn't really show off everything an offensive coordinator can do. But you've got an advantage that is very basic, and until they put an extra defender in the box, just keep hammering away. And when they do... Play action is there. It's one on one. It seemed pretty simple and straightforward, given the fact that they had the senior quarterback and they had a good line and they had the star running back. This year is different. You know, this year, you know, you maybe mix it up and maybe an offensive coordinator shows off more things to keep a, a defense off balance as opposed to like one of the basic building blocks of the game. You just have an enormous advantage most weeks. Yeah, but I thought they did that already last year. I mean, they put Keithy in situations that yeah, just they did some stuff. Yeah. It wasn't total and vanilla. You're so right. now you've got Keithy back, and then if Britton Covey, and Britton Covey did a thing with the media. Uh, they've been having these uh, in place of what would be media day back in July. They brought players in, and yesterday or two days ago was the South, and they had each player in for roughly about 20 minutes. They had Ted Robinson, uh, Pac-12 announcer, ask him some questions, and then they opened it up, and I listened to all of them. And I listen to uh, uh, Britton, and if he's healthy, I mean, he's a guy that you could put everywhere. Keithy is a guy you could put everywhere. And their receivers, you know, I don't know that they're great, but they should be better. This should be one of the better, if not the best, collection of receivers that they have had in the conference. That doesn't mean they got three or four standouts who are going to go first round. There's no Nikhil Harry's here, but this should be better, and Andy can get them the ball. So you're right. I, I agree with you to, an, to a good extent that they, have, uh, they should be able to show more diversity because they've got, they've got a fair amount of tools, and I'm excited to see what Ludwig can do because, I, as I say, I think he is really good. All right, there's Kyle Whittingham, DJ and PK. Your feedback coming up. We got a lot of people weighing in on the bowl games. We've had a, a fourth bowl game canceled. There's rumors three more are out. Where is this going? Uh, we got a lot of people weighing in on that. We'll get to your reaction to today's show next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. Question of the morning, no holiday bowl this year. Should the other bowls follow suit? And Robert says... No! How will we deal with holiday week, family get-togethers, and no bowl games? Robert is frightened by the future. I understand that. Yeah, it's a tradition. If you're an American sports fan, obviously football is at the high priority, and that time of year, 
you're watching a bunch of bowl games. I mean, you can't remember any of them unless it's your team. But at the time, you're sitting there. Who wants to talk with your brother-in-law? He's probably a noodle. You don't like him. Well, at least I got something that can distract me. I can pay attention to a a football game. So I agree. Dan says, dang it, I had my money on BYU beating a five-loss Michigan team in the Holiday Bowl for the National Championship. Guess I'll have to find a better investment. Is anyone selling some magic beans? I don't know what magic beans are, but yeah, that was that's not bad. That's that's decent humor right there, and it and it's my kind of humor, sarcastic. And it comes not from the Utes, who have taken their fair shot of the Cougars over time. Aggie fan Dan Swanson at USU, the right blue. Aggie fans firing away. Salt Nick City says no bowl games. Well, bring one to Utah. You know the Rose Bowl during World War II? They played it in, for one year, they played it at Duke. Duke. It was yeah. too, too dangerous, I guess. They, they thought to have a gathering on the West Coast in case there was an invasion or an attack or something. So they moved it Seems to Duke. Silly. One year, they could move the Holiday Bowl to Salt Lake City. And, and well, move it to Olympus. Isn't that, that in Holiday? Oh, I like the way you're nice thinking. Nice yeah, Cottonwood. <laughs> Cottonwood's got a nice stadium. Sure, Cottonwood too. Yeah, That's... and if you're not going to have fans, what's the difference? You could bring the Red Box Bowl to Rice Eccles. It's red. Put the Holiday Bowl in Holiday. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got uh, we got a guy reacting here to the video from uh, Daniel Jones taking off on the 80 yard run and. Tripping over the 15-yard line. You know what's amazing is early in that run, there was a cornerback who I thought should have like accelerated and chased him down. Aren't cornerbacks supposed to be faster than quarterbacks? Why do quarterbacks run away from defensive backs? That was a big play in your mind. You've mentioned it many times today. It was hilarious. Corey says he was running downhill. Ah, football cliche. See what he did there? He got tripped up by himself. It happens. <laughs> Uh, Brian thinks, uh, getting back to the Bulls, he thinks there's going to be more Bulls shutting down. Bulls need fans and seats to turn a profit. If they're limited to no fans in the stadium, then I see other Bulls doing the same thing and shutting it down. Yeah, I'm not so concerned about this year because I think that's true. I I wonder if that in five years from now, if we'll see that there'll be a great reduction. It sounded good. It was good for a while. But things change. What's it going to be? It's impossible to predict. The economy, all these types of things. Uh, Athletic departments, more scrap for cash. Do they really want to subsidize their own travel uh, on this type of thing and spend all this money that they really don't have anymore? So I'm concerned about that. Okay, PK, I've got a joke for you on a new bowl game that changed its name yesterday. Go ahead. So the Cactus Bowl, which is down in your beloved Phoenix Valley is changed mm-hmm. its name to Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Any idea why? Somebody paid uh, a lot of money to a mortgage s- company. They're going to set a rate for you, and it's not going to move. It's much like Lightstream. You can get a uh, charge cards and reduced interest rates, and you know it's a fixed rate. Because of solid interest rate. Yeah. Well, I'd say, hey, money talks, man. I, I just wish they would maintain. Like when you say red box. You don't know what that is. I'm still thinking no. Foster Farms. <laughs> you got to know what a red box is. Put the, like when they went Tostitos Fiesta, well, I knew what it was. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But the companies want it out of there because they're afraid you're going to re- refer to it as Fiesta and not Tostitos, and they're not going to get the bang for their buck. So drop the Fiesta. Yeah, but I just said Tostitos all these years later. And I can remember the uh, when Utah played, it was the, I think it was the Tostitos Festival, and every night they have a little concierge in the media hotel. You could have as many chips, as much chips and dips <laughs> as you possibly could have handled. Nice. I think it's <laughs> Free Tostitos for everyone. Yeah, sounds like PlayStation Festival, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, free PlayStation for everyone. Well, the funny thing is Rose Bowl is the only one that's never had a sponsor name in front because of it. It's because it's the granddaddy. It don't need nothing. It's, it's always been the Rose Bowl presented by whatever company. My, the Celestial Kingdom, that. my friends, isn't sponsored. Good point. Hans Olsen, H-A-N-D-S, parody account. Nope. Holiday Bowls in California, when they see all the other bowls moving forward, having fun and being successful, they will get their decision and try to jump back in a little too late, sort of like the Pac-12. I don't see it this year. I'm still waiting for the Poinsettia Bowl to come back. <laughs> On the cutting edge of folding, the Poinsettia Bowl beat ahead everyone's of its time. Yeah, ahead of its time. <laughs> other bowls that have quit over time. There was a time there was a bowl game the the Garden State Bowl at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. That thing. That thing they actually, out. one year, way, way back when, they played it inside a casino. It's a true story. The Garden State Bowl? Yeah. Look oh, it up. really? I think Devils okay. played in it. Because the Liberty Bowl was in Atlantic City in the 60s, and the youths were in it, and it was indoors on an 80-yard field. That was apparently awful. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, but I've seen a few photos of that. It's a classic. All right, we are all out of time. It's Football Friday. More football coming up with Hans and Scotty next. They are at the store, as Scotty G notified us about half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago. Uh, we will see you Sunday night on Talking Sports. You enjoy all the games. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Sunday night on Channel 2. And back here Monday morning from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.